extend a welcome to you this morning. I was thinking, you know, we have a perfect king, and uh, are we sometimes prone to reject his direction in our lives? This morning I was meditating on what to share, and uh, so I thought about the time of the year we're in, when the harvest fall time of the year, it actually isn't technically fall, actually fall will begin, I believe, on the 22nd, if I'm correct, uh, so that's probably, this is 1921, Wednesday, I believe, is uh, the beginning of our uh, climate uh, change fall. We, uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, the uh, aspects of spiritual lessons. My message this morning is entitled Spiritual Lessons from Harvest, and uh, the scripture mentions harvest. Scripture mentions uh, some things we can use, learn from harvest. And uh, so I thought about ancient Israel. Uh, you know, their harvest was just a bit different than ours. It uh, spanned a longer span than what we know as harvest. It would have went from April, April, the month of April, as we know it, to the month of November. And uh, I think barley was the first uh, harvest, first crop that was harvested. It went through, uh, started usually in April, and uh, followed by wheat and oats. Then there was also peas and lentils and vetch. Uh, June was grapes. June and July were grapes. There was millet. In August and September, there was figs and grapes and pomegranates, and again, ending with olives in uh, September through November. So uh, their harvest, when we think about in the scripture, their harvest month was, or their harvest season was quite a bit longer than what we traditionally know here in North America. So I was thinking about harvest and, and as it relates to in our communities and uh, our many of our lifestyles, I uh, was challenged with um, some facts in relation to that, and I thought, well, maybe I'm, there's not as many farmers in the Mennonite church as there used to be, and, uh, and in our country as there used to be, period. And, uh, some statistics here just to get your mind rolling. Two million farms dot America's rural landscape, and about 98% of the U.S. farms are operated by families, individuals, or family partnerships, or family corporations. One U.S. farm feeds 166 people annually in the U.S. or abroad. Uh, and it goes on with some global uh, numbers there. Population expected to increase by 2.2 billion by the year 2050, which I don't know when those calculations were made. I think back in maybe 1918, maybe perhaps. But So there are outdated just a little bit. Uh, but if that is true, they're saying that for farmers, there's a bright, bright future. We'll have to grow about 70% more food. And, uh, you know, we think we're probably maximizing things now. Cattle, calves, corn, soybeans are the top three U.S. farm products. And uh, farming, uh, this was an interesting thought that I would have never, I would have thought it had been more than that. It says farming accounts for only 1% of U.S. gross domestic product, 1%. And we thought we were important. One <laughs> percent of the GPD. Uh, now, this is another one that I found interesting. After accounting for input costs, farmers and ranchers receive only eight cents 
out of every dollar spent on food at home and away from home. The rest goes for costs beyond the farm gate, wages, materials for production, processing, marketing, transportation, and distribution. Well, I'm not crying here this morning, but uh, that eight cents sounds pretty meager. Um, 25% of all farmers are beginning farmers, and that means in business less than 10 years, their average age is 46 years of age. I thought that was interesting. Uh, as I think of uh, my son and son-in-law, Laverne, he's 40, so he's younger than the average beginning farmer, and Delvin's 40. One or 42, he's younger than the average beginning farmer. And I think they started late because I started at 21. <laughs> but, uh, well, that's life, I guess. Uh, that's all I'm going to read. Well, there's one or more here because it's particularly related to me. One dairy's production, one day's production for a high producing dairy, dairy cow yields 4.8 pounds of butter, 8.7 gallons of ice cream, 10.5 pounds of cheese. Careful stewardship by American's food producers has spurred a 34% decline in erosion of cropland. On any given day, one in eight Americans will eat pizza. Americans throw away about 25% of the food they purchase for at-home consumption. Now, I thought that was uh, a little bit of a stretch, but I I guess that's, I don't know how they arrived at that conclusion. But, uh, again, farm and ranch families compromise less than 2% of the U.S. population a whopping 40% of all food grown and produced in the U.S. is never eaten. Uh, again, I, I find that a little bit mind-boggling, too. But uh, So the, thinking of, of harvest, you know, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a gardener, you know, harvest is a time that you, you look forward to. And, uh, you know, it's what we've been waiting for since spring. And uh, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, I want to look at some spiritual uh, lessons for us and applications for us in relation to the aspect of, of Harvest, Matthew chapter 9, begin reading at uh, verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The first point I'd like you to uh, focus on this morning as we think of lessons from harvest is the fact that, that the most important, and that is we need to know the Lord of the harvest. This is a description of Jesus here as he began his earthly ministry, as he was in his earthly ministry to his people. His people, he describes them as he looked upon the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Who better is qualified to express compassion than Jesus? Uh, you know, we as human beings, we attempt to do it. We want to be compassionate. We should be channels of that compassion. Uh, and we can only learn from Jesus as he looked among the multitude, he saw them as sheep. And it's, I think it's interesting that he uses a... A, uh, an animal of husbandry that uh, to describe his people as sheep scattered abroad having no shepherd and there he is the good shepherd if only they would yield themselves to him and recognize him as the good shepherd a couple other things that caught my attention especially as I think of our lives today it says he he, he went about in all the villages in cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and I'm attempting to share this morning in a teaching manner we had a good Sunday school lesson we had a good devotional and I'm hoping to share with you not because of what I know, but because of what the scripture 
is and how we apply it to our lives. Uh, and the question I asked myself was, he was preaching healing. What was the teaching and healing programs like in Jesus' time? What was it like? Well, if you'd flip back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we, we get a glimpse of it. Chapter 7, verses. this is on the, from the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. So Jesus' teaching here was was different. It got their attention. It says he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. A distinct difference. Jesus came from the Galilean region, known more for its farming than its academics. Uh, now, as as as, as the uh, traditional Mennonite church, you know, we're not known for our academics, probably. That's not our, our strong point. And I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't be known for our academics. Uh, I think academics is all right if it's done in the fear of the Lord, if it's done for his glory. But, uh, you know, our, uh, our preachers, our leaders are often, and in, and in many aspects, we're not professionals. We're, we're lay people. We, we work with our hands. We get our hands dirty. We, uh, you know, we, we eke out a living just like the, the rest of our congregants. And uh, as I thought about what was the teaching program like in Jesus' time, he says, not like the scribes specifically. And then you turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 23, and we see Jesus getting a little more pointed in, in telling us what was the difference here. In Matthew chapter 23, I want to read verses 1 through 4. Matthew 23, verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seed. All therefore whatsoever they bid, you observe. That observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So right there we find a distinct difference that Jesus is saying, do what they say, but then he says, uh, but don't do after their works, for they say and do not. That's a, that's a marked distinction that Jesus points out in the difference between his teaching and the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I also wanted to drop down to verse 23 in chapter 23, and it says, Jesus there, and that whole chapter 23 is a woe chapter. He's pronouncing a woe on the scribes and the Pharisees, and I'll just pick out verse 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise in common, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not and not to leave the other undone. So that was a... a, a a marked difference in Jesus' teaching. He was a, uh, we might say, a hands-on type of person. You look at what he did. He went among the cities and the villages teaching, preaching, laying on hands, healing. And, uh, you know, that just blessed me as I, I got a mental picture of Jesus. You know, even what were the medical opportunities, you know, the healing opportunities in Jesus' time? You know, we think of our proximity to, to Mayo Clinic, and, and we think of World Carol, World care health available to us, um, unequal to many other facilities. 
ex, you know, maybe John Hopkins and Cleveland Clinic would be comparable. But, uh, you know, what were the people's options for, for, for medical healing besides Jesus as he came through and healed their diseases and uh, the blessing? And we believe Jesus and we believe that potential is still with us today as followers of Christ, that, that healing can be done in a miraculous way. But the point I want to emphasize here is knowing the Lord of the harvest is is what makes the difference. We need to be, he was willing to serve. We talked about that in Sunday school lesson about leaders. You know, Jesus typified that so real. He was willing to stoop and take on the form of a servant and uh, make himself available to the multitudes. He was willing to stoop to humility. The second point that I want to mention in, re- in re- lessons in regards to harvest. So, knowing the, knowing the Lord of the harvest, the second one is we, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, we reap only what has been sown. We reap only what has been sown. You know, in the spring, we planted corn, and uh, we planted, well, last fall, we would have planted some rye, and uh, actually in the... Uh, Israel, some of that, them small grains would have been seeded in the fall as well, like the barley, I think, was oftentimes seeded in the fall. But, uh, you know, we planted that in the spring, we planted that seed of corn. And uh, in anticipation, that's what we expected to come up. And uh, as I uh, emphasize the importance of understanding that concept, we reap only what has been sown. In Ephesians chapter 5, want to read verses 1 through 2 and then drop down and read verses 14 through 18. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks." And then I wanted to uh, drop down to verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So then, that see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We reap only what has been sown. We are blessed this morning as, as followers of God. It, it challenges us there in verse 1. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. God wants us to follow Him. As we walk in love, as we live in love, as we, as we build relationships in love, um, God has given us that example of giving Himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for His sweet-smelling savor. And then, uh, as I read there in verses 14 through 18, you know, the, the danger of, of losing focus of that. Now that seed, when we buried that seed in the ground in the spring, it was there. And it was, uh, and as we have, have human life in ourselves too, we, we cannot change our identity. Uh, we are human beings. And, uh, we are brought into this world. And God expects us to bring honor and glory to Him as we follow Him. 
And he expects us to bear fruit in as we follow him. Now we do know that we have choices to make in life. And we have choices that will determine uh, who we are glorifying. Whether we are glorifying God. You know, I planted that seed of corn. When I picked that ear off, I picked the ear off just yesterday, I think it was, and I counted there was 18 rows of kernels around that ear. And there were probably about 35 to 37 long. So that was about 166 kernels on that ear. I'm sorry, 666 kernels on that ear. Uh, and, you know, that's a, to me, that's a, 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 a good return on one seed. And I think of in anticipation of what God is looking from my life as created in his image, you and I as human beings. And we go back to Genesis where it says he created us in his image. And then he expects us to receive him as his as our king, as our Lord, and we follow and live lives in service to Him, and and as we are buried in 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 our our uh, as we deny self and crucify self, we can be receive a newness of life in Jesus Christ and bear fruit unto eternal life. But you know that's the positive aspect of it. We are blessed as God has sown. We are blessed because of what even our ancestors have done. Many of us are reaping in. And being blessed because of the choices our ancestors have made. But you know, the, the negative is just as true. We, there are generations that, uh, that, uh, you know, the cycle has not been broken and they have lived in lives of selfishness. They have lived lives of idolatry. They have lived lives of sinfulness because of, uh, the choices their ancestors have made. And, uh, you know, so the negative aspect of the negative potential of that is just as real and powerful. Bearing fruit that is, is, is going to destroy lives. It's going to take, it's going to take people away from God. You think of alcoholism. You think of drugs. You think of lifestyles. Um, Ed Gibbons, uh, who wrote the book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, lists five things in his book that he, he decline, he, uh, gives, uh, Credits to the fall of the Roman Empire. First one, he says, the sanctity of the marriage and home. Secondly, higher taxes and the social welfare system. Thirdly, the pleasure and sports craze. And then five was the the continuous armament buildup when actually the real enemy was coming from within Rome. And then five was the decay of religion and lack of of true religion. You think of those five things and you think it... And you look at America today, and really we're, we have that picture right here in our, our world today, in our country today. And, and someone has said, and I'm not sure who to give credit to this, but you know, they said, uh, you know, Americans, America's forefathers, we think of the pilgrims, we think of those that, and even our Anabaptist forefathers who might immigrated to, uh, to America in search of, a, a, you know, because of their religion, because of their faith, and because of their love for God, that, that was their motivation. And, you know, those things have stood our country in good stead for how many years? In contrast to South America, Central America, uh, was settled primarily by the Spanish that were in search of gold. And you look at the, the unsettledness in comparison. Now, I, again, our country is coming close on the heels of some of that uh, unsettledness, but... Uh, that whoever was, was making a comparison between the motivation of, of the ancestral 
purpose of, of, you know, coming and immigrating to and settling the different countries from North America to South America. And, uh, and we know that, you know, that is not the answer. It comes down to personal decisions of, of each generation in, in serving the Lord. And uh, to me, that's a powerful, powerful principle because we, we need to be instilling in, in our lives that we reap only what has been sown. And, you know, we're going to be continuously sowing that which is, is, uh, is evil, that which is wrong. That's the fruit we're going to be, that's the fruit that's going to be born. And, uh, we need to be reminded of that. Turning into Matthew chapter 5, as I think about sowing in Matthew chapter 5, I want to read just a few verses there in the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, ask myself, what seed am I sowing? Where do I get the seed from? Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he, hath made, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For we love them which love you. What reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect. Notice verse 48 here. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now that's a, that's a promise that you and I can take to heart. We, we can be assured that what we plant if we plant the seed of God in our hearts and in our lives, we will be producing fruit for the glory of God. You know, I haven't looked at a seed bag for a little while, but I know when I used to look at seed bags, the Dwight, you're going to have to help me out. What's the what's the uh, fantasy of it? You used to say like ninety nine point nine nine percent or something like that of, of genuine seed or without any weeds in. What, what do they call that? I'm trying to think of the term. I thought they usually on their label that they called it. Purity? Okay. Purity? Of, of the seed that's in that bag. And that always challenged me. I thought, well, you know, I guess they're leaving just a, a hundredth of a percent that there might be something in there that isn't there. But we don't have to worry about that with God. It's a hundred percent. God is a hundred percent. We get our seed from God. We follow His laws. We follow His commandments. And we see that. We use that principle for our lives. It's a hundred percent. Guaranteed. And with confidence, I can share that with you this morning. Uh, I don't know how much better I can make it. Dwight can go only 99.999 or whatever it is on his bags, but God goes 100%. And I don't know if anybody's ever put them to the test on that or not, but uh, you know, this seed is not to that percentage level. But uh, that's still pretty good for, for humankind. I think that's... Uh, uh, I'm not being critical of that. We reap only what has been sown. Seed, the seed of God, what God gives us is perfect. The third thing, we reap in, dis- we reap in a different season than we sow. Came across, across a quote, I'm not sure who to qu- credit this to, but it says, too many people are sowing wild oats in their young lives and then they turn to God and pray for the, for a crop failure. So we think we can get away. We can sow that which is not right and not reap. Are we caught in that trap of praying to God for a crop failure? You know, it's a creation principle. As we look back in Genesis chapter 8, verse 2, uh, and, you know, we, we, 
we take this for granted, really, don't we? We plant the seeds in the spring and we know that it's not gonna, now there are, there are some plants that grow faster than other plants, but you know, as I thought about that, I thought of all the genetic, uh, manipulation that scientists have done, you know, it, I, you know, they, they, they look at yield and that was one of the things, one of the quotes I was gonna mention, I think, too, what, what percentage of increase they have accumulated over the years. But I, I do know this is my 40 years of dairy farming, the average production of cows more than doubled. And uh, so that's that's phenomenal. Will it double again? I don't know. In the next forty years, I don't know. Uh, but in, in what I started out to say was in in the genetic uh, scientists and their genetic development, they they look at yield, and I guess that's you know why can't we double crop corn? Why can't we? You know, the corn that would yield just as good and grew you know grow it in maybe thirty days or or even forty five days. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Uh, but again, that's I, I don't know what the I'm not a scientist. That's probably not possible. Uh, where was that going? Genesis 8. Yes, the principle. A creation principle. We reap in a different season than we sow. Genesis 8. You say, well, I know that. And I, I hope you know that. And I hope you realize that. But it's it's good to be reminded of some of these very basic principles. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest. Notice that. Seed time and harvest. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall never season. No better do we realize that than here in Minnesota. <laughs> heat and summer, cold and winter, seed time and harvest. And I, I like the changing seasons. I, I, I think I, I'm not sure if I could adjust to an area where there's it's no seasons, but I, I do like the changing seasons. Turning to Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, chapter three. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. Time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to get, a time to lose, and a time to keep, and a time to cast away. Time to rent it, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. Time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? There is a time for everything, and I want to drop, turn ahead to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And, uh, you know, as we think of, we reap in a different season than we sow. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, is it described man's flawed thinking. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Here's where we have depicted and described man's ideas that are flawed. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which feareth which fear before him. Those two verses there, I believe, are an indication. Was I going to read verse 13? But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall be shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Even though judgment is not meted out immediately, let's not be fooled into thinking that there's not consequences, there's not reaping that will be taking place. And turning to the New Testament in the book of James, 
chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruits of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rains. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So there is coming a time we need to realize and recognize that we will reap in a different season than we sow, if not for sure at the end of our time. God knows when that time is. Only God knows what that time is for each one of us. The fourth thing, principle that I want to remind us of as we think of harvest is that we reap more than we sow. Would there be any farmers around if we did not reap more than we sow? If I planted that kernel of corn in the ground in the spring and I didn't, I only got a kernel back, you know, that would, we could not do that. We could not sustain. That would not be sustainability. It's a given that we expect and anticipate. Now that, that return will vary. And in a year like this, when we had dryness, you know, that people are seeing that. They are not getting the yields that they anticipated. And again, there's a negative and a positive uh, principle to this. We reap more than we sow. And that's true in the positive sense, and it's also true in the negative sense. Uh, I want to turn to the book of Job, chapter uh, 22. Two verses, Job 22, verses 8 and 9. You know, we, whether you're gardening, whether you're farming, we know that the weeds will produce multiple, multiple, multiple times and, and almost overcoming. Here in these verses in Job 22, but as for the mighty man, he hath the earth. He had the earth, and the honorable man dwelt in it. Thou hast sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. And then I want to keep those verses in mind, and I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So there we see someone who is not a godly person, a description of a godly person. He had the blessing of the earth, and yet he sent the needy away. And Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9 is a New Testament truth. Uh, breaking in at verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall also reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Now that's not what we saw described there in Job, did we not? We saw a selfish person withholding the, the gifts of the earth that he should have been sharing. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes, causes through us thanksgiving to God. And that's who we have to thank really this morning. Uh, as you harvest the fruits of your garden, as you harvest the fruits of your crops and farms, we have God to thank because it's a principle that God has has uh, created that we get more than we sow. But again, remember the the negative is is just as true. 
You know, we could look at the example of Jacob and Rebekah in the Old Testament. And uh, I'll not take the time to turn back and look at that. But you know, if you're familiar with Jacob and Rebekah, uh, who was her favorite son, you know, he he used deception in uh, the obtaining the birth. Well, he used deception in uh, with his father in uh, re, uh, getting the blessing uh, at the uh, bidding of his mother, Rebekah. And uh, she told Jacob, she said, uh, you'll be gone just only a few days. And uh, it ended up being 20 years. And I don't know that Jacob, I don't know that Rebecca realized the extent of that. But I'm just bringing that example in here to say that, you know, the deception that was used, uh, Rebecca said only a few days and it ended up being 20 years. It multiplied. And then you know Jacob's life with his uh, father-in-law Laban there, the deception, he reaped the deception there in the selection of his wives. And uh, multiple times he received it. And again, the fleeing in relation to uh, from Laban there as well. And then Jacob reaped again the same, some of the same, as that skin of that sheep was put on himself as he went to his father. And then as Jacob's sons came back to him with his son with the lamb skin and said, is this your son's uh, coat and blood? And uh, so he was used, he was deceived by his own sons as well. Someone has said, if you want to be rich, give. If you want to be poor, grasp. If you want, ab- if you want abundance, scatter it. If you want to be needy, hoard it. And again, we turn and think about the example that Jesus gave us in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It tells us how He spared not His only begotten Son. He gave us heaven's best. Our part is to receive that gift with exceeding joy and abundantly in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Our part is to accept it in faith in Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 6. We need to receive that gift of His Son in faith. We reap more than we sow. The fifth point that I want to mention is we need to preserve, we need to persevere and use patience as we wait for harvest. You know, if we wait till harvest, and again, these are things that all of you understand, I'm sure. If we wait till harvest, you planted your garden and you showed up in the fall, you know, it would be a disaster. I know it would be. Uh, there'd be weeds. Uh, there'd be things that your crop would be compromised. It, it likely wouldn't fare very well. You know, there's insects, there's weeds, there's nutrient issues that need to be taken care of. And, and so it is in our spiritual lives. There's, we need to do daily checkups. We need to know. We need to understand and then apply the nutrient of the truth of God's Word in our lives daily. And that's part of what we're doing here today. We need to apply. We need to know God's Word. We need to know God's will for my life. We need to understand it. But you know, so many times where I find I fail is we need to apply it. You know, the application. You know, we can buy the best insect repellent. We can buy the best insect insecticide. We can buy the best fertilizer. But you know, unless we apply it to the crop, unless we apply it to the land, it really isn't going to benefit that crop. And it's the same for you and I today as we have the truth of God's Word in our hands today. If we're not willing to make the application, 
Or we want to apply it to everybody else. We need to apply it to ourselves. There's a, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, there's, I think, as I think about the, uh, the aspect of, um, waiting for the harvest, and there's an interesting aspect brought up there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, As I think about it in a spiritual sense, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 6. The husbandman that laboreth must first, must be first partaker of the fruits. Now it's an interesting concept, concept, isn't it? The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he shall also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. And I'll stop reading there. But uh, I like that concept of the husbandman being the first partaker. Uh, you know, this principle is not a selfish principle. It's not, you know, we, we think of sharing, and that's, that's good. But we need to, first of all, apply it to ourselves. We need to, first of all, partake of the, the truth of God's word in our own lives. And uh, it's, uh, someone said it's survival. It's, it's for our good. It's for our survival. Somehow we think if we do everything, there won't be any problems. And that's, I think, what Paul is mentioning here is he's writing to Timothy. He's saying, we may do all the right things. We may say all the right things. But he says he's suffering because of his his willingness to follow the Lord. And we may suffer. We may be, uh, our life uh, quality may be compromised, we might say, because of our commitment to the Lord. But again, that's to God's glory. That's bearing fruit. Uh, and we shouldn't draw back from that. The example was mentioned about our English Bible as we have it. You know, how many of us could read a Bible in another language? Anybody here? Okay, you learn Spanish, Al, and German probably. Uh, so we'd have to depend on two people here to do reading of the Word. You know, you stop and think about that. You know, our English Bible was translated by uh, uh, Wycliffe and uh, Tyndale. You know, they. Uh, and, and the both of them, I don't think, saw the fruitation of, of their work in, in their translation. And particularly uh, Wycliffe, when they, his persecutors, they burned him at the stake and uh, scattered his ashes over the Thames River there. And they said, we're rid of you forever. <laughs> Today we still have, because of the commitment that he made to his work, we still have the English Bible in our language that you and I can read today. Do I count that a blessing? That was seed that was sown. And the harvest wasn't realized in, in their lives until today. We may not always see the fruit of our, our labor. And I think we maybe mentioned that in the one of the other Sunday school lessons uh, earlier. But uh, So we need to wait. It takes perseverance. It takes patience for the fruit of the harvest. The last point that I want to mention is, you know, 
there's, there's always next year, isn't it? That's a farmer's hope. There's always next year. That's a gardener's hope too. You know, it's too late. I can't, I can't go out and I'm, I'm just satisfied with the yield I got this year and, and try and do anything about it. I've got to harvest it. I've got to live with it. It's settled. It's done. And uh, I need to learn to live with the consequences of my choices. And that's true spiritually. I need to be, I need to be willing to learn to live with the consequences of my choices. Someone has said it this way, and I like this aspect of it. He said, failure is the back door to success. You know, we think of success as always doing the right things. But they said failure is actually the back door to success. And I think what they're describing is they're saying that you learn from your failures. And you make changes. You make decisions. You say, well, that didn't work this year. I'm sure going to try it. Well, it might not work next year either. But you soon get some things put together that are going to going to work. The second thing is that uh, we need to commit ourselves to apply what we've learned from uh, the past year's and uh, apply it to next year's crop, next year's harvest. And, and life is that way. I think we need to learn from our failures. We need to go forward. Uh, don't give up. The, the third thing I want to mention is we don't measure your yield according to the world's measures. Don't measure your success in life according to the world's standard of measure. Uh, it's all right to measure your crops that way, your literal crops, I guess, uh, to a certain extent. But uh, you're thinking of a spiritual application. Don't measure the success of your life to the same standard that, that the world does because that is a flawed concept. I'd like to uh, close by reading Philippians chapter 3 as we think of next year, as we think of tomorrow. You know, each each day in our Christian life is is like a a harvest in itself. Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and I tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're looking for that final harvest in our lives to take place at some point. God is the Lord of the harvest. He has planted you as a, as a seed in the world today to bear fruit unto eternal life. Is it bearing that kind of fruit? What kind of yield is God anticipating from your lives this morning, from my life this morning? There's three days. There's yesterday. That's last year's harvest. You know, it's gone. We can't, we can learn from what took place yesterday. I can't change the words I've said. I can't change the decisions I made yesterday. Uh, with his mistakes and failures, it's gone yesterday. Tomorrow is another day that I do not possess, and I don't need to become overly obsessed with what's going to happen tomorrow. But we can certainly, we have today, and uh, God has given us today, and we need to live it well. And as we live today well, as we focus on God, as we follow Him one day at a time, we can know that tomorrow will be will we'll bear the desired fruits of harvest. And that's a blessing. 
that we can depend on as we look to God this morning. And uh, as we anticipate our harvest in our lives, as we think of the lessons that we can learn, there's a little uh, quote I wanted to read. We cannot control the length of our lives, but we can control its width and depth. We cannot control the contour of our countenance, but we can control its expression. We cannot control the other person's annoying habits, but we can do something about our own. We cannot control the distance of our heads above the ground, but we can control the height of the contents we feed into it. God help us to do something about what we can control. And that's the challenge I want to leave with you this morning, is that we are responsible husbandry in God's garden for his glory.